the Bible, it contains 66 books. And in those 66 books, we find 1,189 chapters. And among the 1,189 chapters, we find 31,102 verses of Scripture. Now, at an average reading speed, you can read through the Bible in a calendar year with just the small investment of 12 minutes a day, about the same time that it would take a family on average to do their laundry. You can read through the Bible at an average speed, the average person in just 12 minutes a day, if you do it for 365 days. Now, the pages are contrast one to another because the pages, they are filled with battle stories. They're filled with miracles, tyranny, justice, sorrow, and laughter. And there are well-known stories throughout the scripture like Noah's Ark or Jonah, David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den that these stories are even known by many across North America that would not consider themselves to be Christians. There are laws and there are commands. There are what appear to be rules and regulations, guidelines and guardrails. And at a glance, when we begin this walk with the Lord and we grab hold of that Bible for the very first time, if we are being honest with ourselves, it can be a little bit daunting. How can I live up to what the pages of Scripture are calling me to? How can I uphold and adhere to and live to what the Word of God is calling me to do? From Genesis to Deuteronomy, there are about 613 commandments given by God to the Jewish people. Now, 248 of these are, are do this commandments. This is something that you must do. While the other, are, the other 365 are, do not do this commandments. Don't do these things. One for every day of the year. And of the 613, the first 10 of which we are most familiar with can be pointed to. If we look at what we all know as the Ten Commandments, we can filter down these 613 commandments that no man could really memorize in fullness. We can boil them all down, and it all points down to what we call the Ten Commandments. It's the ones that we are the most familiar with. That is to say, if you obey the first Ten Commandments, by proxy, you will not break the other 603. If you do these 10 things, then by proxy, you are not going to do or you are going to do the things that I have asked you to do. And so that can be a sigh of relief for all of us because if there was a rule book every day of 613 things that I was either supposed to do or not supposed to do, I would mess up because I would not even be able to remember them all. And so I would be doing things that I'm not supposed to do because I just didn't know. And then I wouldn't be doing things that I should be because I didn't know. And so if we just obey these first 10, you won't disobey the rest. Now, 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,000 verses, and 613 commandments can be boiled down to these 10. But... It gets even better than that. 
I want to show you this morning in the scripture, I want to give you, so to speak, the, the secret sauce, if you will, of the Bible. That if you follow what the word is about to tell us today, it will impact everything else that you do. You see, that sounds pretty simple. Well, good news, it is. It really is that simple that if we look and if we listen to what the word of God wants to speak to us this morning, it will impact everything else that we do. And so if you've been living for God for a while, I want to remind you of the two most important things that we must do as people who are, tr are striving to live for the Lord. The two most important things that we must do. And if you're a visitor this morning, Maybe this is your first time in church or you've only started seeking after God very recently in your life. You're hungry. You're wanting to grow in spiritual maturity. And this is all new and this is all fresh to you. And maybe, maybe honestly, like we already said, this can seem a little bit overwhelming and you don't know where to start. This is for you. What I want to talk to you about this morning is for everybody in this room. Look at your neighbor and say, it's for you. Look at your other neighbor say, it's for you. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40, reading from the King James Version. But when the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together, and then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus, without hesitation, without having to think any further, he replies and he said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the foundation of everything that we live for. This is the foundation of every church in our world, that we must love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and with all of our mind. Now, they only asked for one commandment. But Jesus said, this is the first and it's the greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. This, this second commandment that you didn't ask for it, but I'm about to give it to you, this is very similar to the first one. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all. Everybody say all. all. On these two commandments hang all the law in the prophets. It can be summarized in those two things. You can mix it all together and pour it out. You can splice it and dice it however you want to, but it all culminates into these two simple commandments. And without being dramatic or, or embellishing the truth, your walk with God, I say this sincerely with all truth this morning. Your walk with God hinges on these two principles from the word. The level of spiritual growth that takes place in your life rests on these two statements. It sounds too simple to be true, but it is the truth nonetheless. You might be saying this morning, well, well what about spiritual disciplines? What about the doctrines that we preach? What, what about prayer? Isn't that important? 
What about reading the Bible? What about fasting? What about the great commission that Jesus gave to us? What about holiness and what about separation? Yes, indeed, all of these things are vitally important to each and every one of us. But even these things are so deeply rooted in these two commandments. Love God and love people. Everything that we do, the reason that we pray, the reason that we fast, the reason that we live in holiness and separation from the world is not because it's an obligation, but it is out of love. I do these things because I love the Lord, not because I'm living in fear of his judgment. So he said, love God and love people. Now, when Jesus answered the lawyer, he was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 5, where Moses was speaking to the nation of Israel, and he said that exact same thing to them in the Old Testament. He said, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that is to say, with all of your being. It's not that there is any separation between the three things that he is listing, but he is trying to make this point that we need to love God with everything that is a part of us. We are commanded to love the Lord with everything that is within us. That is called total devotion to him. And so when we think of love and and how the world would perceive love, and there is this commandment in the Bible to love. Can, can you really command somebody to love somebody else? You know, isn't, isn't love this mysterious, you know, intangible thing that exists? It's, it's this emotion that it's so ambiguous that nobody really fully understands it. Isn't it? Isn't it? I might step on somebody's toes right here. Isn't it just that strange, unexplainable feeling that those people in those cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies have when the man and woman gaze into each other's eyes for the first time until one of them awkwardly looks away? Isn't that what love is? How can you say, hey, you love you? Okay. It seems a little bit strange in principle to us, but according to the Bible, you can command somebody to love. Because in the life of the believer, someone who is doing their best to live for God, love, it's also an act of the will. It's not just an emotion. Affections are part of the essence of love. And these, uh, these emotions, they might all, not always be as intense in every situation, but they are always there to some extent. Imagine a husband who seeks the welfare of his wife but doesn't enjoy doing it. Would his wife feel loved? I doubt it. And even if the husband didn't dislike serving his wife, but was simply indifferent in doing it, she would still probably not feel loved. This is because we intuitively recognize that emotions are an essential part of love. Love includes not just willing, but also preferring and wanting and delighting. It is the combination of emotion and also action. That is love. And the Bible is a book of love. It is quite literally the greatest love story ever written. But interestingly, when we look into the scripture, the first time that we ever see the word love used is in Genesis chapter 22. 
It's not even used in the context of, of Adam and Eve. It's not used in the context of his initial creation of humanity. He doesn't use the word love there. It's Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, and it's this exchange between a father and a son. But it's not just any father and son, but it's between Abraham and Isaac. God tempts Abraham, and he says this to him in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And interestingly, Abraham, that we can see, Abraham that we know of does not banter or argue or fight with God. I'm sure in his mind there was this inner turmoil, and we don't know the words that he says, but when God said this to Abraham, Abraham says nothing back to God. He doesn't fight or fuss. No words or are exchanged between them, and, and I can't really fathom at this moment what is going through Abraham's mind. I love God. I deeply do more than anything else in my life. But if I had to be very transparent and vulnerable with you today, I would have struggled if I was Abraham. If God said to me, you've got to give up your son, I would really struggle to follow through with this. I trust the Lord and I know that he works all things together for the good. But I would really, really struggle. This story. It speaks differently to me now because I am a father. And I'm not sure what I could have, that I could have done what Abraham did. That without hesitation, no hesitation recorded in the Bible, he fulfilled what God had asked him to do. And as much as Abraham loved his son Isaac, he loved his God more. As much as he loved that son that was promised to him, he loved God more. And he was willing to give up his son for his God. And we know the story. God, he stops Abraham just as he was about to kill Isaac. And Abraham had proved through his action and through his intentions right to that last moment that he was willing to do what God had commanded for him. And that was sufficient enough for God. It wasn't that he did it. It's that he would do it. He called him to do it, and God could see the intents and the thoughts of Abraham's heart, and he said, you know what? He is going to go through with this. I'm going to stop him. God was in heaven asking a man if he would give up his own son while God himself knew that he would one day have to do the very same thing. Now, our love for God, it doesn't start with us. It starts with him. Our love for the Lord doesn't start with us and then gets projected to him. I want to remind somebody today or maybe for the very first time give you this revelation. If you haven't heard anything that I've said yet up to this point, I want you to remember these three words. God loves you. Not just the person sitting beside you. Don't pass the plate on this one. I'm speaking to you this morning that God loves you. Yes, you. You might question it in your mind. How could God love me? I'm telling you this morning that God loves you. You might not feel deserving of his love, but he loves you 
anyway. You might not feel worthy of his love, but he loves you anyway. You might think that you're too messed up for God to love you, but can I tell you this morning that he loves you anyway? You might think you've gone too far or done too much, but can I remind us this morning that God loves us anyway. Some of you, it may challenge you to hear this. It may stir up some emotion in you, but you might not even know what it means to be loved. But he loves you anyway. You might not have a relationship on earth that mirrors the love that God has for his church, but can I tell you this morning, even if you feel unlovable, God loves you anyway. He loves you at your best, and he loves you at your worst. He loves you on your brightest days, and he loves you on your darkest nights. He loves you in your ups and in your downs. God loves you, and he does so unconditionally. There are no terms of service to his love. There are no check boxes that we must meet all the criteria for him to love us. God loves us unconditionally. That word that we glean from in the Bible, agape, it literally means unconditional. Now you and I, we don't deserve it. None of us in this room deserve the love that God has for us, but he loves us anyway. We deserved hurt, but he gives healing. We deserve death, but he gave us life. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That was us. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet. Peradventure for a good man, some may even dare to die. If they were a good person, maybe somebody would do it for them. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Are you thankful that before you ever walked into the room this morning, there was a God in heaven that looked down on your life one day and said, that's my child, that's somebody I love, that's somebody that needs to get pulled out of the pits of despair. Aren't you glad that Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the grave? He did it. Out of love. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 to 10 says, God showed us. He was the example for all of us. He showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God. Hear it this morning. It's not that we had this passion and this love for him. And so by virtue of that, God said, well, if they love me, I'm going to love them. That's not how it worked. It says that this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 sums it up like this. We love him because he first loved us. 
The reason that I love the Lord so much and the reason I live the way that I do, it's not out of fear or obligation or the worry that one day I'm going to spend eternity somewhere. It's not that. It's because I love the Lord and I love him because he first loved me. Before I even knew or understood what love was as an infant, God loved me. Charles Spurgeon, he said this. He said, Jesus, he loved you when you were living carelessly when you neglected his word and when the knee was unbent in prayer oh he loves some of you when you are out dancing in the streets and when you are going to places that you shouldn't go and when you are spending time in areas that you should not have spent time in he loved you when you were at hell's gate and you drank damnation at every drought. And he loved you when you could not have been worse or further from him. Marvelous, oh Christ, is thy strange love. When I didn't deserve it, Jesus loved me. He loved you first. He loved you first. He loved you before you were ever born. And he loved you before you ever came to a church service. He loved you before you ever prayed your first prayer. He loved you first. And because he loves me, because God gave me the opportunity for abundant life and to spend eternity with him in heaven one day, I love him. Because he did that which I could not which was to live a sinless life and therefore have the ability to take on the sins of the world, including mine and including yours. God in heaven, he looked at your life and said, that is somebody that's worth dying for. You, yes, you this morning. God looked at your life from its very inception and said, that is somebody I'm willing to die for. And Jesus Christ, he took your place and mine upon that cross. But he rose with all power in his hands and he made salvation a possibility for each and every one of us. And can I tell you this morning, if you have never repented of your sins, if you've never had the opportunity and the blessing to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ or receive the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you that today could be your day. Whatever your next step is in living for God, I'm telling you this morning that it is available to you. You can experience resurrection power in this room today. Amen. God loved you so much that he knew that you, yes you, not your neighbor, not the person sitting in front of you or behind you, but God loved you so much that he knew 2,000 years ago that there will be somebody sitting in a church in Fredericton, ready to make their next step towards him, ready to lay it all down and begin a new life in Christ. And so that's the first command, love God. Look at your neighbor and say, love God. And we love him because, again, he first loved us. And it becomes easy to love him when we hold on to the revelation when we take that understanding from the scripture of how deep his love is for us, we should make it a priority and a practice in every day that we wake up to just say, you know what, God, I love you. 
God, I love you because you first loved me. Now that's the first commandment. The second commandment, to, to love thy neighbor or to love people. The Pharisees, they, they didn't ask for this next commandment. They only asked for the greatest commandment. But Jesus, he, he gave it to them anyway. We read it, Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. In the second, it's, it's like unto it. It's so similar to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now this commandment, it becomes easier to follow once we've understood God's love, understood God's love for us. Because in order to understand God's love for us, we also learn that he loves everybody else too. If God loved me, he loves them. If God loves me, he loves you. And if God loves you, he loves your neighbor. And so the revelation and the understanding that we need deep in our spirit that God loves us also makes us realize that he loves everybody else too. The apostle Paul, he, he had said in Romans 5 verse 8 that it was while we were yet sinners that Jesus died for us. And it was while others are, are still sinners today that he died for them. He did. It wasn't that he loved us when we got saved or when we started living for him. No, not at, not at all. He, he loved us in our lowliest state. Some would say it like this. You don't get good in order to get God, but we get God in order to get good. The prophet Isaiah said that our righteousness is as filthy rags. The good that we may try to do is unacceptable and unclean before the Lord because we are all like an un unclean thing. Even the good we do sometimes is polluted. Again, Charles Spurgeon, he said this. He said, brethren, he said, if our righteousness is so bad, how bad could my unrighteousness be? If the good things that I try to do, if the little bit of righteousness that I think is inside of me is bad, how bad is my unrighteousness? If our best isn't even considered good, then how bad really is our bad? And the truth is this, that loving people, this is not going to be a revelation for any of you this morning. Loving people can be hard sometimes. Take a deep breath. There are some people that you will meet in life that are a bit challenging to show the love of God to. Oh, Jesus. Because of how they treat you or because of their bad attitude or whatever it is. The truth of the matter, the, the fundamental of what I'm trying to tell you is that sometimes loving people is hard. Loving those that we don't know Caring for those that may not have anything to offer us in return. Or better yet, somebody who is your enemy. Somebody that opposes you and rejects you and hurts you. Jesus, he, he expounded on this a little bit more in Matthew chapter 5, reading from verse 43. He said, you've heard the law. And it says this, it says, love your neighbor. Okay, that's not too bad. I can probably manage and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. This is where it gets challenging. But I say, don't just love your, your neighbor. Don't just love your family. Don't just love your friends. But love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. 
If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? That's easy to do. When people love you, it's not hard to love them back. When people do nice things for you, you want to do nice things back. But when people do mean and arrogant and rude things to you, you want to do mean and arrogant and rude things back to them. Am I by myself this morning? We got a room full of holy people. He says, if you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even, he gets right in our face right here. He said, even corrupt tax collectors do, do that. Just want to make sure we all don't like paying taxes, right? Or as little as possible. I just don't want the government to come after us. He said, even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Oh, it's easy to love people that love us, and it's easy to love somebody when they reciprocate that relationship back to us, and it's easy to care for somebody who can do the same for us. But Jesus said, if that is the level of which you love, congratulations, you are the same as tax collectors and pagans. You are the same as the money-crazed, ripping people off, and idol worshipers. Isn't that refreshing? If that's the way that you love, you are the same as, as the tax collectors, and you are same, the same as the pagans. But are you willing to love your enemies? Are you willing to love somebody who persecutes you? Are you willing to love others unconditionally in the same way that God loves you unconditionally? Unconditional love is the catalyst. Unconditional love is the one thing that has jumped into my spirit over the last year or so. Unconditional love is the one thing in my mind that sets apart a church for revival. I would be so bold to say that it is impossible for a church that operates in unconditional love to not see revival happen. I want to say that to you again. I think that it is impossible, not improbable, it's not a maybe. I firmly believe with everything that is in my spirit this morning, I firmly believe that if there is a church that is willing to love their community and their city and their world unconditionally, we could point to a church like that and say that church is ready to have revival. And you could say this morning, you could say that isn't very spiritual, Pastor Alex. What about prayer? What about good preaching, or maybe this morning, mediocre preaching? What about, what about fasting? What about reading the word of God? What about Acts chapter 2, verse 38? What about John 3 and 5? What about all these really important things? Those are great points. And I believe that a loving church is a praying church. 
I believe that a loving church is a fasting church. I believe that the best messages we will ever hear come across this pulpit are ones that are preached in love. If we love unconditionally, we will want to do the rest. If we love people unconditionally and if we love God, we're going to want to pray and we're going to want to fast and we're going to want to be holy and separate. If we love unconditionally, if you love unconditionally, and if I love unconditionally, not just my neighbors, but my enemies, and those that persecute me, those that stand against me and don't agree with everything that I agree with in this life, if we can love those people unconditionally, we will see revival. We will. Write it down. Stow it away for a while. I am telling you, if we love unconditionally, we will see the revival that we all desire so deeply in our spirits. Now, Pastor Jack, uh, he told me because there's no service tonight that I could preach twice as long. So that was my intro, and we're going to get into what I want to say this morning. Now, the Apostle Paul, just take a deep breath. That was, that was a joke. The Apostle Paul, he, he confronted the church in Corinth. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because they were having all of these problems happen in their church and all of this discord and all of this division and, and they were trying to figure out what was going on. And the root of much of their problem was a lack of love, one for another. I want to be clear. Paul was writing to a church. He wasn't writing to people that weren't trying to live for God. He was writing to a group of people that loved God and gathered together on Sundays. And the root of their problem, the root of why they weren't experiencing and seeing the growth that God wanted to give them was because there was lack of love and division among them. It was so bad that they were suing each other. They were suing each other. You took my seat at church, and I am going to take you. That's my parking spot. Don't park there again. They were suing each other. And get this. They were angry. They were envying over each other's spiritual giftings. Imagine this. A church that's so divided that when somebody is used in the gifts of the Spirit, they got angry because they were being used the same way. They were focused on spiritual gifts for selfish intent. They had no desire based on their actions to build a church. They just wanted to build their own spiritual portfolio. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 1 to 7 says this. He said, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, other translations would say, if I would speak in tongues, but if I did not love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and if I possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I did not love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything that I had to the poor and sacrificed my own body, I could boast about it, but if I did not love others, I would have gained nothing. He said, you know what? 
If I never operate in the gifts again, but I've got unconditional love for the world around me, that's okay with me. If I never prophesy, if I never speak in tongues, if I never know the heart and the mind of God for a specific moment, if I never get any of that, and if my faith is so strong that any miracle I imagine could happen, but I do not love people, I gain nothing, zero There is no benefit to anybody if we do those things, but we do not love each other. And then he goes on to say this, love is patient and love is kind. It's not jealous or boastful. I'm not upset when somebody does better or preaches better or sings better or leads worship better than me. I cheer them on. Thank God that there's people that God is using among us to do those things. I'm not jealous. I'm excited. It's not jealous. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice that is to say oh they had that coming oh oh they deserved they deserve that i i told them i told them to not do that now they're they're paying the price now but rejoices whenever the truth wins out love never gives up love never loses faith it is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Of course, Paul, he's not neglecting the importance of spiritual gifts, not at all. But what he is reminding and what he is prodding the church of Corinth about is that we must keep the main thing the main thing. If we want to see revival, there are two things in principle that we must do. Love God and love people. Tongues, an interpretation of tongues without love. He said it's just a bunch of noise. Prophesy all that you want. Understand the deep secrets of God's heart and mind. Be full of faith, but it doesn't matter if you don't love others. Our world is so void. There is an emptiness. There is a a lack of true agape love. There is a lack of true unconditional love. It's that we love and we like people right up to the point that they interfere with how we want to live and what we believe. That is the world. That is the culture. That is what is prevalent in our society today. And this lack of love, it creates division. It creates division through things like war, racism, political views, and social issues. And there is this narrative in culture that if we have different viewpoints, that if you see something differently than I, and I see something differently than you, that those things should divide us even if we agree on 99% of the rest. And I have found it to be the narrative that sometimes that that prevalence of that lack of love in the world can sometimes creep its way into the church as well, just as we saw in the church 
in Corinth. We can come back to the music this morning. I'll be closing in just a minute. I want to be really transparent this morning with you. I want to just lay it all out on the line and just give you my opinion. It is, it is my opinion. It's nothing more and nothing less, and do with it what you will. You are entitled to your own opinion. You can believe what you want to believe. And I want to be very clear. When I'm saying this, there's not a specific event or person or anything that comes to my mind. This is what the Spirit of the Lord led me to as I was preparing this today. I get really confused. I get really, really, really confused when I see people saying things to others or sharing things on social media that are bound to do nothing but cause division from one person to the next. What benefit? I, I pray that you would sense my spirit this morning. I'm not upset. I'm challenging you. I'm challenging myself this morning. But what benefit will airing your grievances out there for the world to see have? I'm not just talking about spiritual things this morning. You don't have to share your candid opinion on every hot-button topic that's going around in the media. You say, that's not very spiritual. Just hear what I have to say. I really don't want to know your opinion on every political or social justice issue. I really don't care about what your opinion is all too much about what the news is trying to portray and push on us that is supposed to be important. You say, well, I just, I just, I saw it, I shared it, I, I put it out there. That's what I believe. You are entitled to believe what you want to believe. You are entitled to your own opinion. But what I am trying to challenge us with this morning is that your opinion might be different than somebody else's. And your opinion is probably right. It might be right. But why would you put this battlefield out there for you and somebody else to butt heads because you don't agree on something? Why would you do it? Here's a good guideline for each and every one of us this morning. If what I am about to say is not going to foster and show the love of God, maybe I should reconsider saying it. I'll say that one more time. If what I am about to say is not going to foster and show the love of God, maybe I should reconsider saying it. Do you really think that somebody is going to want you to teach them a Bible study when you've been so aggressive with your opinions on things that are opposed to theirs? Do you think that they see the love of God when you post that or when you say that? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. It petitions us to speak the truth in love. And this is where it gets muddy. This is where it gets missy. Because we might be right, we might be wrong. Our opinion and our side could be totally valid. That's not the point. It's the principle that if what I'm doing and if what I'm saying is going to stir up strife between me and somebody else, it's just better that I do not say it. Because I don't want there to be any division between you and me. 
I don't want to say something that offends you and makes you upset. Not because I'm a people pleaser, but what benefit would it do for me to share something and share and push my opinion on you when you disagree? All it's going to do is cause a wedge to come between us. And the truth that is not spoken out of love, it does more harm than good. It's the truth. Don't get it misconstrued this morning. It is the truth. But the truth that is not spoken out of love will do more harm than it does good. And so you can say the right thing at the wrong time. Or you can say the right thing sometimes at the wrong, or the right thing the wrong way. Ask yourself this question this morning. Is how I am living and what I am saying producing love or creating division? Is how I am living and what I am saying producing love or creating division? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19. It says, these are six things that the Lord hates. No, seven he detests. It's haughty eyes and a lying tongue, hand that kills the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. This, this collection of seven sins, it's, it's focused on how we treat others. We must honor God and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. But God is also concerned about how we treat others and how we love others. Each of these are serious sins against others. One who sows discord discord among the brethren. This is presented to us as the result of the previous six or the ultimate among the seven. It is one of the highest things that the uh, the highest things among uh, the hatred of God. It's an abomination to him. It's the thing. One of the things that he hates the most is when somebody causes division. And division is really just a lack of love. Because if we love people, we don't want to be separated from them. If I love people, I don't want there to be a gap or a wedge between us. I want to be close to you. I want to be your friend. Not pull each other away. In contrast, John recorded these words of Jesus. John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. He says, so now, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. But catch this next line. This is the line that made all these notes come together. Your love, one for another, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Feel the Spirit of God right now. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I hope today that if you are a visitor, that you have enjoyed the service. I hope you found a parking spot close to the doors. I hope that the foyer was neat and orderly when you walked in, and I hope the bathrooms were clean and smelled nice, and I hope that you found a seat that you were comfortable sitting in. 
I hope the building was just the right temperature, but don't ask your neighbor because they will give you the opposite answer. I hope that you liked the worship service. I hope that there was something that we sang today that connected with you. I hope you liked our time of corporate prayer. I hope that the preaching was tolerable and not too long. But before you leave, if this is your first time here today, above how nice our building might have been, above any song that we could have sung, above anything that I've said this morning, above all the circumstances that led to you being here this morning. I hope it was all great, but more than anything else, before you leave today, I hope that you felt the love of God and the love of the church. Would you stand with me this morning? Jesus could have said many different things in that moment to his disciples. And I always find it interesting to think about not always what was said, but what was not said. Jesus did not say, the way you pray is gonna, how, is gonna be how they know you're my disciples. He didn't say how nice your building will be indicative of the fact that you are my disciples. He didn't say how many services you have. He, did, he didn't say anything of that nature. He didn't say that if you speak in tongues, they're going to know that you're my disciples. He said, by this, your love, one for another, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I close with this this morning. 1 John chapter 4, 11 to 12. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, that means you, and that means me. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And his love is perfected in us. Skipping down to verse 20. He says, if a man say, I love God, but I hate my brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he can see, how can that person love a God whom they've never seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. This is it. This is the point this morning. God loves you. And for some of you, that's all that you needed to hear this morning. God loves you. You didn't know it when you came here. You've never experienced the love of God. And I want to just tell somebody this morning that God loves you. And because he loves us, we love him. But the Bible takes it to that second commandment. And it's that if we really love God, if we really love the Lord, then we will love people. When we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind, we will find it easy to love our neighbors as ourselves. Would you lift your hands with me this morning? I feel the presence of the Lord moving in this room this morning.
Oh, I worship you, Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning over everybody that's in this room. You don't have to stop praying this morning. I'm just going to lead us in prayer, but you can continue to pray. God, my prayer for everybody in this room this morning, first and foremost, before everything else, God, I pray that there will be a revelation of how deep your love is for us. Not just your church, but God, us as individuals this morning. God, I pray that your love would, would permeate. God, I pray that your love would saturate this room right now. I pray that somebody who is void of love in their life and they desire to know you more. God, I pray that your love would begin to pour out on them this morning, Jesus. God, I pray that there will be a reminder for some of us, but God, a revelation for others that you love us so deeply. And God, because you've done so much for us, God, because you've done what we could not do, God, you manifest yourself on earth and died for our sins because you looked into the future 2,000 years later and you saw me and you saw us sitting at a church in Fredericton on a November morning. God, you loved us that much that you endured the pain of the cross for our salvation. God, let that revelation be present in this room this morning. I want to open up this altar this morning. Can we come this morning? And would you bring somebody with you? I feel the love of God in this place. There's some people that just need a refreshing of the love of God. And there's some other people that you've been challenged by the word this morning. We can come, church. You've been challenged by the word this morning that I need to love my neighbor. If I've really got the love of God in my life, I'm going to treat people differently. I'm going to act differently. Amen. When you get up to the front this morning, will you just lift your hands? And would you begin to pray and say, God, would you show me your love more deeply this morning?